Amen. Let us turn to our reading of God's holy word this morning, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, page 1048 in the Blue ESV Bibles. And uh, we're considering this in light of Lord's Day 2, which we read earlier. We read uh, Matthew 19, verses 16 to 22. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the beginning of the New Testament. Let us hear now the word of God, Matthew 19, beginning at verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter eternal life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So far, the reading, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Dear Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we uh, consider the purpose and the scope of the perfect law of go- uh, the perfect law of God this morning, uh, we consider it with Jesus and the rich young man, often referred to as the rich young ruler, uh, which no single text speaks of, uh, but uh, we have the parallels in in. Uh, Mark and Luke as well. Luke adds the detail that he is a ruler in Luke chapter 18. And so this rich young man, this rich young ruler comes and speaks to Jesus about the law. And during this meeting, the rich young man receives a loving confrontation from Jesus. He receives a word from Jesus where Jesus is giving him the answers within his questions. Jesus Jesus is telling the young man what the answer is, but he is refusing to hear the direction that Jesus points him in. He remains in, in, in an ignorance, a common 
ignorance. This is an ignorance about the true meaning of the law and our relationship to the law, which persists from one generation to the next. There is a uh, very good chance that at least some of your neighbors have an attitude which mirrors the attitude of the rich young man. And that is their view of the law of God. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I, I spoke with, uh, you know, one of the weaker, one of the workers who, who came into the, to the church over, uh, over all of that remodeling process. And it was abundantly clear that his view of the law of God and of salvation was very much like the view of the rich young man. Uh, this is the view we must guard against. This is the view that we must be on the lookout for to be able to speak the true good news to those around us. It is uh, the view of the rich young man. It is that which we will encounter in our life as we speak to those around us, even as we must be uh, on guard against it ourselves. And so our theme, brothers and sisters, this morning is this, that we are called to have a believer's understanding of the law of God, which stands in contrast to the unbeliever's understanding, to the unbelieving understanding of the rich young man. We look first at the requirements of the law, and then at the call to follow Jesus, and then at the miseries of man. Well, we begin with the requirements of the law, and from the start, we see that the rich young man, he comes to Jesus and, and some things uh, look to be promising here. First of all, he comes of his, his own accord. He's coming to speak to Jesus. Uh, second of all, he comes with a sincere question. It's, it's an ignorant question, as we will see, but it is a sincere question. It's, it's not like the malicious questions of the scribes and Pharisees trying to catch Jesus, to trap Jesus. No, it, it, it has a sincerity to it. He, he really wants to ask Jesus this question. And uh, uh, he's not trying to test. He's not trying to be malicious in that way. Uh, but immediately his question displays ignorance. He says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life. What is the ignorance of this question? It is the ignorance of unbelief which would hold that any mere man could possibly do good things to enter eternal life. What good deed must I do to enter eternal life? It's only the ignorance of unbelief which would even dare to ask the question this way. And so Jesus will give his answer, and while he ends his answer with these words, keep the commandments, notice that in the middle of that answer, Jesus said this, there is only one who is good. See the middle of verse 17. Which, even as, as Jesus is, is probing the young man, that right there is the answer. That is where the young man should have stopped in his tracks and acknowledged the only uh, goodness of God himself. 
as the catechism says it in question answer five, I cannot keep the law of God perfectly. That is the answer of a believer. That is a believer's understanding of the law of God. A believer hears God say, only one is good, and stops right there and says, yes and amen, only you are good. But the unbelieving ignorance presses on. Uh, The rich young man has missed the fact that Jesus has given him the answer. And uh, instead of hearing the answer, he just focuses on those last words, keep the commandments. And so he says, which ones? His ignorance of unbelief continues. Instead of saying, yes, there is only one who can enter eternal life by righteousness, and I am not that one. He just says, which ones? The following answer of Jesus goes through the 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, 5th commandments in summary fashion. These are the commandments where evidence of outward obedience can be most readily seen. Uh, but again, Jesus is, is also giving the answer within his question. Uh, notice that by including the summary of the law, after he, he goes through those commandments in summary form, Jesus penetrates to the depth of the commandments. And so he he includes the summary. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, Jesus is saying, well, here's all the commandments, but remember, all of the commandments penetrate to the depth of the heart. You must love your neighbor as yourself. That is the summary of the law. It's the summary of the law quoted also in A few chapters later in Matthew 22, seen in question and answer four, it's the words from Leviticus, which are quoted more than than any other words from uh, the Pentateuch in the New Testament. It's the, the second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus has again included the answer which the young man should hear, but again, the young man Ignores it. He presses on in the ignorance of unbelieving understanding. So what does he say now in verse 20? All these I have kept. He ignores the depth of the law of God. He has not approached Jesus like the Pharisees, but he is displaying that he has a Pharisaical view of the law, whereby a Pharisee would say that a person could be labeled as righteous under the law, blameless. The words of the Apostle Paul describing how he saw himself when he was a Pharisee. But it's only the ignorance of unbelief that can say this. Once again, question and answer five is the believer's understanding of the law. I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. As J.C. Ryle once said about this text, quote, an unconverted person is often profoundly ignorant on spiritual subjects, 
end of quote. And this young man, not hearing the answers that Jesus is including in his words, not not hearing how Jesus is directing him to think about the only one who is good, the depth of the commandments requiring perfect love of our neighbor, he continues on in his ignorance. He must have a very low view of the law of God. All these I have kept from my youth. And so it is that Jesus will now confront him and begin that confrontation with with a call and a question. And this takes us to our second point. We come to our second point, the call to follow Jesus. What do I still lack, the young man says. And now Jesus, looking at the young man with love, a detail added in Mark chapter 10, brings a question of love and a loving confrontation. It comes in two parts. First, sell everything that you have. Second, follow me. Now the first command from Jesus is specific. Jesus knows the specific weaknesses and idolatries of each and every person. He he knows the sins that you and I struggle with. He knows our weak points. And what is Jesus doing here? Is, Is he giving a you know, universal command is the application that every true believer has to go out and sell everything that they have. That's, that's not the application. The application is Jesus knows your weakness. Jesus knows whatever your idolatry is. And Jesus will confront you at that point. We must have the word of God confront us where we have our own struggle with idolatry. As we think about how how Jesus interacts with others in the Gospels, we might consider how Jesus had a different question, a different challenge to the Samaritan woman at the well. What did he say to her? He said in John 4.16, Go, call your husband. Jesus knew her idolatry, her struggles with sin. Jesus knew where she needed to be confronted. Jesus knew where this young man was holding on to idolatry. Jesus knew where he needed to be confronted. Jesus knows where your idolatry is, where your sins are. Jesus knows what we must give up to follow him. And so Jesus gives that that point which exposes the young man's idolatry. He loves his money more than he loves God. You must be confronted in your sins. You must acknowledge them before God and then trust and follow Him. And that's the second part. The second part of God's Word is then, follow me. Look at the end of verse 21. And come, follow me. Our our struggles with sin, our confession of sin, 
that's not going to be exactly the same from one of us to another. We're, there's going to be a lot of overlap because the sinfulness of the human heart is is common to all. But you know, some we're, our confession of sin is not exactly the same from one person to another. That first challenge is not going to be exactly the same from one person to another. But the essence of the second part is the same to each and every one of us. The essence of the call to follow me, come to me for my burden is light, for my uh, yoke is light and my burden is not heavy. That command to come and follow Jesus, the essence of it is the same as it comes to each and every one of us. We are to come to Jesus. We are to come to Jesus in humble faith. That is what is required of us. Looking back at the, the context, just to chapter 19, verse 14, what did Jesus say there? Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Come to me, Jesus says. Come in humble faith like a child. Remove the pride of whatever your idolatry is. However, that first confrontation, whatever that needs to look like for you, whatever idolatry, whatever secret sin, whatever you are harboring harboring in your heart, hear the challenge, confess the sin, and then the essence of the second command, come and follow me. This is what the King of Kings calls to each and every one of us. Follow me with the faith like a humble child. Now, Jesus does have the right to demand uh, all that the young man has. Jesus has the right to call us as his servants, as his soldiers, to lay down our life for him. God does not call everyone to actually do that. Few are called to serve God to the point of a martyr's death. But the point is that we are all called to serve and to be confronted in whatever our idolatry is. Well, now then we come to our third point, the miseries of man. He is, verse 22, the rich young man is sorrowful. He went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Brothers and sisters, there are many forms of misery, but let's think about two different kinds of misery this morning. The first one we could call the unwelcome misery of sin being exposed. Why is the rich young man sorrowful? He does not want his sin to be exposed. He, he thought everything was going great. He's, let's, let's say it this way. He's a rich young ruler. We can assume that he had a good cover. We can assume that he had a, a, a clean cut outward appearance. We can assume that he could demand a, a certain kind of, of respect. And now Jesus has exposed that he's just a sinner like everyone else. Jesus has exposed his idolatry. Jesus has exposed what he is unwilling to do 
to follow the one and only perfect King of Kings. He does not want his sins to be exposed. It only makes him misery miserable with an unwelcome misery. Brothers and sisters, as we think about the direct application of this text to our lives and, and the fact that this attitude persists from one generation to another, this, this attitude of, of I can be righteous, I can just do enough righteous things, I, I can just have enough righteousness in my own. Uh, this is the unwelcome misery of unbelief. Either uh, sins are ignored or when they are exposed, it's, it's an unwelcome misery. No, don't tell me about my sin. Don't tell me I need a Savior. Don't tell me I have a misery that can be exposed by the Word of God. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know anything about it. It's the unwelcome misery of sin being exposed. And this stands in contrast to what we might call the confession of misery. We are called to openly acknowledge our sins, to repent of our sins. Consider you know, the, the questions asked to the young man in, in a number of ways are close to the questions of, of Lord's Day 2 and see how different the answers and, and the catechism always gives us the answer of a believer. It's always the answer of a believer. Consider how different the answers of Lord's Day 2 are contrasted against the answers of, of the ignorant unbelief of the rich young man. It's, is, is there misery in sin? Yes, but I openly acknowledge that misery. I say I am inclined to hate God and my neighbor. The law tells me I am a sinner. And I am ready to freely admit this. I do not hide this. I do not have an unwelcome sorrow as my sin is exposed. I say, yes, I am a sinner. And the confession of misery, instead of being an unwelcome sorrow which remains in sorrow, we have no evidence of we, we don't know what happened in the days following for the rich young man, but, but if he stayed in this kind of sorrow, if he stayed in his attitude of ignorant unbelief, which his question and follow-up questions so uh, display, then what was his sorrow? It was only a sorrow which remained in sorrow. It's a sorrow without, without any deliverance, without any freedom, without any hope. This is contrasted to the confession of misery, which is the misery which leads to joy, which is the misery which says, yes, I am a sinner, but Christ is my Savior. And so I move from the misery of sin to the joy of deliverance as I move from trusting in my sinful self to looking to my sinless Savior, the only good one. There is only one who is good. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is, this is an immediately relevant text. The attitudes which are so common from one age to another. 
as our sins would be exposed? Would it lead us to an unwelcome misery? Or would it lead us to the confession of misery? And then looking to Jesus Christ, coming out of that misery into deliverance, that's, that's the answer. What, what must I do to have eternal life? No, where do I look to have eternal life? I look to Jesus Christ, as, John, as Jesus says it in John 6, verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. Eternal life. Humble faith in coming to Jesus. That's how one belongs to the kingdom of heaven. To go back to the language of 19, verse 14. And so, uh, brothers and sisters, let us keep this account before us. Let us be ready to go to uh, Mark 10 or or Matthew 19, or, or Luke 18, as we would see this attitude in our own hearts, let us be sure it is the confession of misery which we would be led to. And as we see this attitude all around us, it, you will hear this attitude if you speak about spiritual things with those around you. Uh, know this text, go to this text, and may the loving confrontation of Jesus to the rich young man 2,000 years ago reach through to this day. Let us be brought to the misery of confession, which moves from misery to deliverance and joy and life eternal. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, our Lord, teach us as sins are exposed to never walk away from